You're listening to the Healing Birth with Carla podcast, and I'm your host, Carla Sargent. For the past decade, I've been working in the field of birth trauma support and education, utilizing my background in midwifery and teaching, and putting my passion for story sharing to good use. This podcast seeks to dispel common myths surrounding birth trauma and what it takes to heal. Each week, we'll be spending an insightful and inspiring hour together, listening to the stories of people who have journeyed from trauma to healing, and discussing the insights of birth keepers who support others to heal. Whether you're new to the world of birth, a long-time parent, or someone who has an insatiable appetite for all things birth-related, this podcast offers hope and love, guidance and peace, as together we explore how healing our earth begins with healing birth. But before we grace your ears with today's episode, I'm going to take this opportunity to say that if you're inspired to heal with me, or to train with me, or if you have a healing story that you'd like to share on my podcast, reach out to me via my website healingbirth.co.nz. Tanya is mum to Dylan, who's 16, Ava, who's 12, and her little freshie, Oshan, who's just two months. In this episode, she shares about the challenges she was met with when she found out she was unexpectedly pregnant last year, and how she navigated them with a healthy dose of determination and self-work, and the help of friends, family, and an awesome midwife. Given that Tanya had had caesareans with both of her older children and was wanting to plan a home birth with her next one, alongside being a solo mum and unanticipated time spent in the special care baby unit with her newborn, there were plenty of hurdles along her journey. She speaks candidly about the highs and lows and offers a good couple of laughs along the way. As a long-time friend of Tanya's, I was given the honour of attending Oshan's birth. So sit back and enjoy this combo between two friends reflecting on a very special birth experience. Well, welcome Tanya to the Healing Birth with Carla podcast. I'm sitting here in your lounge with you, um, just shy of two months Mm. since we were in here together. Uh, Yeah, with you birthing Mm. little Oshan into the the world. it was a pretty epic, epic morning. <laughs> it was. Yeah, and uh, it was such a buzz for me to be a part of that. So just for the, the listeners to know, um, uh, Tanya's been a friend of mine for quite some time now and um, knows a lot about my birthday background, I guess, <laughs> after the after the years that we've been hanging out and um, conversations we've had. And um, so... Yeah, beautifully, Tanya invited me to be a part of her pregnancy and birthing journey, but I'm sure we'll sort of talk more hmm. about that later. Um, and has has agreed really generously to um, to share your story on the podcast. So thank you. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to them. Yay, cool. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's just start off with um, having you share a bit about your start to motherhood so Mm. your first birth experiences you've got a couple of other children yeah absolutely so I've got Dylan who is my eldest he's about to turn 16 um so it's around about 24 when I birthed Dylan 
I was at a point in my life where I felt quite disconnected to my own body. I probably had a um, a great deal of trust in the experts and I wasn't very connected to my own intuition. Um, so throughout my pregnancy, um, I did some research on a natural birth, um, but I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified about the idea and process of actually giving birth. Um, so yes, with Delan, I was actually 42 weeks. I was told um, at a hospital visit at around 41 weeks that they thought that Delan was a really big baby and they were concerned about my ability to birth him. Um, at 42 weeks, um, they asked that I come in to be induced, which at the time I agreed to, um, because I can remember feeling extremely uncomfortable and a bit fearful that I was going to birth this this giant baby as well. How was my body going to be able to do that? And, and so we, Dave, my ex-husband and I, happily wandered into the hospital to be induced. Um, part of my birth plan was no um, pain relief. Um, I wanted a, a natural a birth as, as possible. And uh, what eventuated uh, was basically an emergency cesarean. Um, what I wasn't prepared for, what hadn't been discussed uh, with me as, as part of being induced, um, you know, I went from having a conversation like this with Dave mm -hmm. um, to experiencing full-on contractions. Yes, right. So there was no, um, I guess my body wasn't able to gently prepare. Yeah, it went from zero to 100. Yeah, and... absolutely. And yeah. it floored me. Yeah. And so before I knew it, I was uh, um, begging Dave to go and grab somebody for some pethidine, for some pain relief. From, yeah. um, and things just went downhill from there. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and the caesarean in the end happened because Delan got um, distressed? or Yes, so there's a couple of things. Um, so I ended up with an epidural. So then, of course, I was on my back in the hospital bed, feeling quite comfortable. Um, they were concerned that Dylan was stuck um, and that he was in distress. Um, also, they were wanting to give me antibiotics because my temperature had gone up significantly. So they were fearful of a, an infection. Yeah, it's interesting. Just um, with with epidurals, it's a, a side effect that sometimes happens where there's a maternal um, fever, yes. but they don't know the mechanism that causes it. And they, they can't rule out that it's caused by the epidural and not by an infection oh. so they treat it you know uh, yeah mm. like an infection so. oh wow yeah yeah and yes. that has consequences for the baby as well which, yeah I can yeah. imagine yeah I can imagine so everything happened really really quickly um I can just remember being rolled into this room with a, a heap of other hospital staff my midwife wasn't present but my ex-husband was and then obviously going through the uh, um, the cesarean. And then my recovery post that was quite traumatic in itself in terms of my hospital stay. Um, you know, I hadn't slept for two days by the time Dylan was born. Um, I'd been through this whirlwind experience and, um, you know, was told that without the cesarean, Dylan and potentially I would have, you know, had serious repercussions or even died, you know, that Delan would have died. Um, so yeah, that was a start to motherhood yeah. for me 
which um, was very emotional. Um, I've got to ask, how big was he? Um, was so he ginormous? No, he was nine pounds, yeah. which, yeah. you know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of laugh, but it's a, it's, it's an eye roll laugh um, because so many people are induced because of fears that are put into them yes. around a big baby and, A, the scans that tell us that the baby's going to be big are so often really inaccurate. Mm. And, B, like, why would we, if we're a healthy person, why would we grow a baby that's too big for us yeah. to birth? Uh, naturally like it just doesn't really make a lot of sense yeah. so um so a traumatic birth and a traumatic start and did that have much of an impact for you do you think on your um relationship with Dylan on your relationship to yourself perhaps with Dave your ex-husband um so firstly the relationship with myself I definitely felt like a failure that my body hadn't done what it was meant to do um I'd heard that birth was meant to be quite a natural and you know intuitive process, and that's definitely not what I experienced. So I definitely felt that something was wrong with me, um, because of um, sleep deprivation. So being awake for two days, birthing, the surgery and drugs as well, I definitely felt a high level of anxiety um, and a deep, deep sadness, depression as well. Um, so I was quite paranoid. I can remember when we came home. Dave was so concerned about my mental health that he contacted the midwife and it was suggested that maybe it would be best for me to go to um, the maternal hospital in Tiamudu um, for um, some care um, because, yeah, I was displaying some early signs, I guess, of postnatal depression. I felt quite disconnected, I guess, to Dylan initially. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know, that definitely hasn't affected our relationship going forward, but I think, again, the expectation was that, that I would have this natural birth and that, you know, the hormones would do their thing and I would feel this overwhelming, you know, love and connection and, you know, this maternal bond. Um, whereas because I was recovering from that experience, it definitely was delayed somewhat. And then with Dave, um, bless him, I think, you know, for him, he, he did his best and it was the first experience for him as well. But he just didn't know how to support me because I was highly emotional. Um, I, I didn't even know how to articulate the experience I'd been through. And also there was an element of, of I guess, guilt and shame in terms of, well, at least we're both here and we're still alive. And so I should be grateful for the mm -hmm. fact that I had uh, an emergency cesarean in the end. Um, so yeah, definitely had an impact initially and then for my following birth yeah, as well. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Ava, you were pregnant with Ava how long after Dylan arrived? So I was pregnant with Ava three years after Dylan arrived. Mm -hmm. I hadn't done any unpacking whatsoever mm -hmm. of my first birth. Um, and I had I was supported by an amazing midwife. I wanted um, to pursue a VBAC. It was recommended to me that I would do that at the hospital, which at the time I felt fairly comfortable with. Mm. Um, but it would probably be fair to say that my mindset was still one of fear around, okay, well, will my body do its thing? Can I trust my body to actually birth this baby? I agreed to meet with an obstetrician where I was also strongly advised that another cesarean would be preferred. Um, and I stressed that I definitely wanted to have a vaginal birth, 
so we ended up agreeing to me having a scan of 39 39 or 40 weeks from memory mm -hmm. so it was 12 now mm -hmm. um so at that scan um i was told that there wasn't enough amniotic fluid mm -hmm. and that they basically needed to to get her out as soon as possible uh, the interesting thing is that they scheduled a cesarean for me and it was a fair few days after that scan so i wasn't rushed in from yeah. that moment forward again for me my mind went see told you your body couldn't do this um, right. and so it was almost validation of that initial yeah. belief that i developed during my first um, experience with delan and there was also interestingly a feeling of relief because at that point in time i don't know how dedicated i was to actually going through with uh, a vaginal birth in comparison to what the work that I've done for Oshan, I hadn't done any of that work around unpacking my previous birth, yeah. understanding, um, you know, the physiology of birth, what that journey actually looks like and how best to prepare for that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, right. Like, so there's all this unpacked fear, self-doubt, um, and that sort of sitting in the background, even though I want that, I want that chance at trying for vaginal birth, but yeah, hadn't had that opportunity yeah. to really um, do the work that's required to to get your head in the right space to um, to support that physiology. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So um, so it was an, an elective cesarean with Ava. And what was that experience like? So I think just in even hearing that language around oh, elective, yeah, yeah. I know, because even in the hospital or to, you know, you're, you're choosing to have a cesarean, this is an elective cesarean. It's like, well, actually, I feel as if the choice has been removed from me. Again, that was my mindset, right? So mm. not having the trust in my body to mm. be able to make the right decision for me, it was placing full trust in what I was being told and that I had to have the cesarean. Yes. So my mind now you know, that I can't describe that as an elective cesarean. Yeah, like, good. Yes. Nah. Um, yeah. That was a, a, a calmer process in the sense of I knew what to expect. Mm -hmm. um, Dave knew what to expect. So he was, you know, better able to support me. We went into the hospital in the morning. We were both quite calm. And actually got a bit nervous before going in. Where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get cut open again, and that recovery is going to be awful. Um, but yeah, it was, in all honesty, it was a a smooth experience yeah. to go through being the second one. What we had done as well um, is made arrangements to recover um, in a birthing centre in Hamilton. So that was great. I wasn't going to be in that hospital environment that I yeah. found quite stressful and triggering. And said I was going to be in a home-like environment to get that support around breastfeeding that I knew that I definitely wanted um, before heading home. Mm -hmm. mm. Awesome. So it wasn't as um, much of a difficult time postpartum with Ava compared to, to Dilla? Interestingly, I probably felt more prepared, yet I definitely had... Um, a deeper level of postnatal depression with Ava that lasted longer. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, there were many, many dark, dark experiences for me post Ava. Um, 
And I don't know whether that was linked to, to the birth or what have you. Um, but yeah, it was a very different postnatal experience to, to that with Dylan. I feel as if I was able to move through the postnatal depression with Dylan a lot quicker than what I did with Ava. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So let's fast forward now. Yes. 11, <laughs> almost 12 years later, and you find yourself unexpectedly pregnant. Yeah. Um, to a guy who you're not in a in a what do we call it committed relationship with yeah um and you're 40 years old yeah um what's going through your head how did you feel yeah tell us about that the early part of your pregnancy oh goodness me so I knew immediately because I you know track my menstrual cycle got a deeper connection with my body um so I knew immediately that I was pregnant I remember taking the test I was in my caravan in Bowinter <laughs> why he and it came up positive and the first thought that crossed my mind was okay this is what we're doing and so then I was like oh shit what, what have I done um but I just had this confidence as soon as I saw those two lines I just had this confidence that okay this is what I'm doing now you know I'm gonna have a baby I'm 14 going to be okay mm -hmm. and I felt positive initially mm -hmm. um I suspected that I would be doing it on my own so that was something that I came to grips with quite early on however following say like a three-day period that's when the reality probably hit me in terms of uh, yes I'm 40 how's my body going to manage I'm on my own how am I going to manage financially um, I don't know much about this other person who's going to be the father. I was aware that um, I was aware that I guess our values weren't aligned. I was aware that um, he wasn't a great fit for me, which is why you know I hadn't pursued a relationship with him. And also, eleven years younger than me, so at a very different stage of life. And, so then things became really overwhelming quite quickly. Um, thinking, fuck, how am I going to actually do this? <laughs> so yes, that was the early stages. Initially, really clear, really confident, mm -hmm. grounded in my decision. And then kind of the reality of the situation hit in and me feeling that I needed to solve everything immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know when in the piece it occurred, but I, I remember that you ended up in the hospital. You called me oh, or yes. contacted me from the hospital. Um, yeah, do you want to share about what happened there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I experienced basically a, a bleed, um, but it was heavier than a life to normal period. Yeah. Do you know how many weeks pregnant? I was 11 weeks. So right. for me, I was devastated because, yeah. you know, as soon as I saw the blood and I saw the volume of blood, I was like, well, I've, I've clearly miscarried. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd become so committed to the idea of being pregnant and obviously birthing my child into the world. I was absolutely devastated because I was convinced that uh, it was a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. um, so I headed to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And that was an interesting experience in itself. 
And after waiting a fair few hours, they agreed to do like a basic ultrasound. And um, they did tell me there's probably a high probability that I'd miscarried or that I would miscarry. Mm. Um, so not to get my hopes up if there was a, a fetal heartbeat, yeah. um, which there was. Yeah. So I basically demanded the ultrasound before leaving the hospital. That was something that I didn't want to have to wait. Yeah. Um, I wanted to see what was going to come up on that little screen. Yeah. So... That gave hope, basically, that, mm. um, yeah, baby had survived and whatever it was, was maybe a shift in my body or my body, you know, getting rid of some stuff before, yeah, um, yeah to better prepare the area for baby to be grown. I don't know. Um, they weren't able to explain it to me at all. But no. it's, yeah, it's pretty stressful in terms of going from, I guess, that whole journey of emotions around shit you're pregnant you're 40 you're on your own you're restarting again how is this going to impact your whole life how is it going to impact your kids what are people going to think you know that shame that judgment um to then facing a potential reality of uh, i've miscarried so no that's not going to be my future yeah to then being back to uh, yes he's fine and everything's going to be okay yeah yes Well, yeah, quite overwhelming um, at that stage in the piece. And I think you had some testing done too. Um, You got a blood test done, the NIP test? Oh, yes. So, again, this is the interesting thing around, I guess, throughout this journey, my pregnancy with Oshan, there's been an unlearning, right? So an unlearning of my previous two births and an unlearning of what I should be doing, what society expects, and then really getting in touch with my intuition and my body and trusting that. So early in the piece, because I was 40, um, it was you know suggested that I might want to get the NIP test, which is able, you know, it's a blood test that you could take, I think around about 11, 12 weeks, and, and it checks for ah. any um, chromosome abnormalities. It's like 680 bucks. Yeah. Um, what you could also do as part of that was um, discover the gender mm-hmm. of your baby. Mm-hmm. So I had the nip test. If I'm honest, at that point in time, you know, my intuition was like, this baby's fine. Yeah, those tests are going to come back. Sweet. You've got nothing to worry about. However, I was really curious around uh, his gender. So <laughs> I, probably, I probably paid 680 bucks just to find out, you know, what, what I was having. Um, versus whether there are any abnormalities or not. And <laughs> so they naturally, the test came back and everything was fine, no chromosome abnormalities, and then I was having a boy. So that was really mm. cool. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you had a couple of other friends pregnant at the same time. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. So there's been, as part of a group, there's been four of us that have had um, babies. <laughs> Um, two of us unexpectedly, yeah, and two uh, it was part of the plan, part of life's plan. Yeah. So that's been a really interesting process as well. You know, understanding first time the experience of being a first time by that to being able to hopefully provide a little bit of support there to people, mm-hmm. um, as well as you know has been challenging watching people who are in a committed relationship yeah. bringing a baby into the into the world and uh, knowing that that experience is so much different to doing it solo um and yeah there was a point during my pregnancy where actually i became really isolated so i just wasn't able to 
to be around that because it, it was it was too hurtful. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you were searching out sort of solo mothers groups and yeah. um that sort of thing online, right? Like trying to connect with that community and and you weren't coming up with a whole lot of success on that front. That's right. And this is something that really grates me. So um, I did struggle to find a community. More so, I struggled to find people like me. So people who had a belief that actually I'm not going to conform to society's expectation of what a single man is. I'm more than capable of providing for my child and I'm more than capable of being successful and thriving as part of that process. So a lot of the content and a lot of the messages that I was receiving both through people and you know online was more negative, was more, well, you're going to be financially broke and you're going to be exhausted. You're not going to be able to get ahead in life. And it's like, well, no bullshit. I get to create my life and I get to create what our future looks like. And my idea of being a single parent is very different to, I guess, the images that we see of, you know, somebody with multiple children um, who is struggling financially. So, mm. Yeah, that's just not something that I was able to relate to. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also want to... I want to hear from you about the journey you went on of self-discovery, I guess. Um, and we kind of alluded to it earlier um, in, the, in the conversation around the work that you hadn't done during your pregnancy with Ava um, that you did do with Oshan. So let's talk about that work because, yeah, we haven't mentioned it yet, but from the... From early on in your pregnancy, you said to me, um, I want to have a home birth. Mm. And um, can you can you help support me mm. to, to get there? Um, so yeah, tell us that, that about that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess home birth as an option um came to me through my sister. So I've got a younger sister who has birthed four beautiful children at home. Mm. She's a freaking machine when it comes to home birthing. And for some reason, Hannah had, uh, you know, this deep belief that birth was natural, that she was more than capable of doing it, and that home was the safest place to be. So I was really lucky to be able to attend the end part of her third birth mm -hmm. uh, with my little um, nephew, Elwyn. I can remember just walking into the home and everything was quiet and calm. There's beautiful music playing. Hannah's in the pool and she's holding little Elwyn and she's just, you know, waiting to birth at the centre. She's got an amazing midwife who is just quietly sitting in the corner observing. Um, and she's also got her other smaller children there as well. And I just felt so calm saw a peace and it was the most beautiful thing mm. that I'd ever seen and it was my first real experience of what a home birth could be like and so as soon as I was pregnant with Oshan I definitely knew that that was something that I wanted to experience versus being in the hospital and probably being encouraged greatly to have another cesarean because you know that's what you should do um, according to some obstetricians or if you are going for a 
vaginal birth after two cesareans, that that should definitely be taking place in a hospital yes. with monitoring, yes. etc. Yes. Mm -hmm. So my first step was actually to be able, I knew I had you as a great support and I knew that you'd be a wonderful, you know, wealth of knowledge and, and help me to unpack some of that shit from my previous two births. I wanted to find a supportive midwife as well. And oh my God, that was mm. so freaking hard. Mm. So not only do we obviously have the shortage um, here in New Zealand, but you know, more so here in Tauranga, um, but every midwife I spoke to just wouldn't support a HVAC after two previous cesareans. One midwife told me that I was being irresponsible and that she definitely wouldn't stick her neck out um, and support me as wow. a midwife. Yeah. So at that point, I'm like, oh, my God, am I mad? Should I actually be doing this? Can I do this? And really question myself. And then through your connections and relationships, we obviously found Reagan, who became my midwife. Um, and that gave me confidence. So knowing that I had an excellent support team was my first step, really. Mm. So then through that journey, I'm, I'm a hypnotherapist as well. So I know and understand the power of the mind, how beliefs are created, and I know how to unpack and reprogram that. So the journey that I took was firstly to understand uh, where were the fears coming from? What were some of the beliefs that I held about birth and about my body? I attended an amazing pregnancy circle. <laughs> <laughs> By the amazing Carla Sargent. Um, but that really helped because mm. you know everyone else as part of that circle were first-time moms. And um, again, they had a really healthy relationship with birth. Um, and going through you know, the process of that circle not only led me to understand what birth could be like, but also educated me in the physiology of birth as well. I was hearing information from me that I had never come across before mm. in terms of how the body works. Yeah. You know, and that gave me confidence. So, okay, this is how my body is meant to work. I can now visualize those parts of my body doing what they're meant to. And then I did a lot of journaling to be so whenever fear came up I journaled and wrote about that to be able to process it another thing I did as well um was I created a hypnosis meditation with my own voice and I created some affirmations to help create obviously a positive birth experience um and I listened to that I'd like to say daily but almost daily and to help reprogram my mind there was an amazing, this sounds like such a plug for you, honestly, but <laughs> the, content, <laughs> the content that you consume is so important, right? Yeah, yeah. Your book around the home birthing stories were a huge source of inspiration mm -hmm. for me because, again, you're hearing people's stories, you're hearing from women who have had very different experiences with home birth, and you're like, well, why can't that be me? Of course that mm -hmm. can be me. Um also it helps you to visualize yeah. you know you can you can start to visualize the journey that they went through as part of their home birth and then that helped me to visualize okay what is my birth what would i love my um birth to look like here at home mm. which the hypnotherapist in you knows the power yeah. of that visualization yeah. right absolutely yeah. absolutely so definitely a lot of work around re-educating myself around the physiology of birth and learning 
some of the beliefs that I developed from my other two birthing experiences and then using the tools that I had as a hypnotherapist to, to visualize and reprogram my mind so that I you know created new beliefs around of course I can birth my body was born to do this I'm mm-hmm. strong I'm courageous and I'm at one with my baby we'll work together to be able to have a really awesome experience and mm-hmm. did you have to do any protecting of your energies of um you know, were you met with any further criticism of your plans to have a home birth? Yeah, absolutely. So I I definitely had to protect my mindset. So I know this is something you and I chatted about. So anyone with a birth story, you know, people love obviously to connect and, and chat about their birthing experience. What I found previously is we can we can go into um sensationalizing mm-hmm. a birth story yeah. and often the birth stories I've heard have been more on the negative side. Mm-hmm. So you know for people who I knew had recently birthed or you know any content that I was consuming, I was making sure that I had boundaries in place around any negative content. Because my mind was still fresh, right? I still you know had was holding some of these old beliefs and that would only be validated yeah. and affirmed if I had allowed that into my space. And so, for example, with friends who'd recently birthed, I would say, hey, would really love to hear about your birthing story. Um, but can we do that after I've birthed my baby? And so that is what we did. And it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I refrained from sharing with too many people that I was birthing at home mm-hmm. because I knew what I'd get in return. I did share, I can remember in a group chat with two of my oldest, dearest friends um, who are both probably more medically minded. Mm-hmm. One is an ex-nurse. And yeah, they they were quite discouraging. You mm-hmm. know, well, the safe space for you to be would be in the hospital with all of the experts. And it's like, okay, cool. I know you've got that opinion. Yeah, I've done my research. I've got confidence in myself. I've got a great team who will support me. Um, if things obviously change, of course I'm going to consider going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, if I absolutely need to go, I will go. Um, yeah, I'm confident that I can birth at home. Awesome. Um, I know that as having given birth by cesarean previously, you would have been advised of um, the opportunity to go and have a an obstetric referral done a consultation with the obstetrician um did you take up that opportunity yeah so this is an interesting one because I've been there before right Mm -hmm. so I I knew what was going to be shared with me there was going to be a recommendation that because it was my third child that I should have a cesarean um and if I did want to do a feedback definitely should be in hospital I did take up the opportunity to speak on the phone with one of the team. Um, and again, that was more around still being on that journey to feeling completely confident in my ability to birth, right? Um, again, the you know the messages that I heard were what I was expecting. I made the mistake of mentioning that I would be birthing at home. And I received many follow-up calls after that wow. from, from the team um, to the point where I think I was around about 37, 38 weeks and 
and one of the team from the hospital contacted me and said hey we've spoken to the specialist he would like to actually have you in for a face-to-face um, meeting to discuss your birthing options and, and I declined that. it's interesting because a moment ago you said that you did you you decided to reach out like to have this over the phone but consultation yeah. um because you wanted to make sure that what you were doing was a kind of like a you know a safe a, a safe thing um and I'm imagining from how you're describing how that conversation went down that it would have had the opposite impact um and yet you also said but I knew what I was going to hear from them so there's a there's so tell us how how is that gap yeah filled yeah I think like reflecting on the why so again I wanted to speak to an obstetrician because I felt as if that's what I should do to be safe mm. even responsible. though yeah responsible yeah and hearing that now there's definitely an element of people pleasing yeah. as well so I knew that there were you know members and of my family and also you know Ocean's um, paternal grandmother that were probably you know less comfortable the fact that I was going to birth at home probably wanted me to be in hospital so that I was definitely safe nothing yeah. could go wrong um so yeah there's definitely an element of people pleasing there mm. in terms of that you know hearing wanted to speak to an obstetrician sorry that gap okay so I knew what I was going to hear I reached out anyhow to make sure that I was safe slash people pleasing. And I heard what I was going to expect, but it didn't affect my mindset. And I believe that's because I was so far down, you know, the journey, like literally three to four weeks from what given birth, that my mindset was pretty, you know, cemented in. I'm going to have a home birth. Yeah. Everything's going to be fine. I was able to counter each point as well so obviously the the biggest thing was my risk of uterine rupture i'd already done reading around the actual percentages of that which i won't comment because i'm terrible with retaining um numbers i don't want to get i don't want to give false information um but it was low it's like really 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 mm -hmm. low um so yeah, I was pretty comfortable that wasn't going to happen. Mm, to me. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I don't know if it was part of the pregnancy circle um information that we shared, but probably um because yeah, I I think also it's that understanding that the obstetrician is coming from a different background, a different history a different understanding of birth a lack of um trust in, in physiology which is is naturally going to occur if day in day out you're seeing all the births that do go wrong mm. and you know mm. like so there's a skewed um vision of what constitutes safe birthing and uh, positive outcomes yeah. um compared to somebody who, who does have a, um, a trust in physiology um, and so the fact that you knew what you were going to hear suggests that you under and you weren't impacted by it yeah. negatively um, implies to me that you understood that different sort of yeah it's not just a philosophical understanding but you know like an embedded kind of like 
um, uh, belief system that's come about through, you know, your different kind of, um, yeah, experiences, learnings, um, knowledge bases and, yeah. and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think as well, I mean, for me, if I go back to, you know, pregnant at week 11, having that significant bleed, going into the hospital, that was so triggering yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, and I can remember them putting a line in just in case they needed to rush me to surgery. And I was like, you're not going to need to rush me. Just like I knew in my body that I was okay. I just wanted to check whether baby, you know, was still with us or not. And so I, I was predetermined to not be in a hospital environment because I knew psychologically mm. and emotionally it wasn't the safest place for me to be. Mm. And that that visit to the hospital at you know week eleven of my pregnancy validated that. Yeah, I think near the end of your pregnancy as well, um, Oshan got a little upside down for a while there. Yeah, he? yeah, he did. <laughs> did that throw you? Um, that that you were maybe looking at potentially giving birth to a breach, maybe. Mm. I did initially. I became quite obsessed with the fact that he was rich. Mm. Um, and so I was doing a whole heap of research. Um, I started to see an acupuncturist, mm -hmm. which I believe absolutely helped, you know, if not only just to, to calm me and for me to know that I'm, you know, doing what I felt was right to be able to help Oshan along. But I can remember sitting in with my midwife at one of our appointments and she was like, okay, so um, she had just attended some breech birthing training, which was great. So she was fresh from that, had a you know fresh understanding and perspective around breech births. And she said, okay, well, you know, how do you feel about having a breech baby at home? And I was like, actually, fine. I'd already come across some really positive stories around, you know, in, again, in your book, um around mums who had birthed a breech baby mm -hmm. and had done that at home and mm -hmm. you know all was well so yeah through me initially became quite obsessed over it and quite stressed then had the confidence that it would be okay yeah. and it was yeah you know he did his thing and turned when the time was right and didn't have to worry about it sweet <laughs> so yeah let's hear let's Hear the story of Aishan's birth. Okay. So uh, with his birth, uh, so the day he was due on the... <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Um, so Oshan was due on the 3rd of March, which is also my 12-year-old's daughter's birthday. And on the 2nd, I was getting what I thought were Braxton Hicks. Convinced myself, you know, in the afternoon when I was experiencing these light contractions or twinges, that that's nah, not the real thing. It's too early. Goodness me. So I went about my day and I headed up to um, Oshan's paternal grandparents' place for a swim because it was hot. And um, Kitty was Oshan's grandmother was like, I'm pretty sure you're in labor. And I was like, nah, it's fine. It's just Braxton Hicks. It's all good. I've had this for the last week or so. No, I'm pretty sure this is you going into labor. I don't know whether I was in denial or what, but anyhow, 
didn't want to make a fuss. She insisted on staying with me for the night. And so we came back here and right enough, uh, I started to feel that the contractions were building mm. and uh, um, they felt like they were coming more frequently. I wanted, like when I visualized my birth, I wanted to experience my waters breaking. So that was something for some weird reason was really important to me. Maybe a bit of a Hollywood movie kind of moment where I was hoping they'd break in the shop or something. Yeah, you know? <laughs> but anyhow, um, I can remember just, you know, chilling at home. I knew that I was prepared for home birth, had all, you know, the supplies, the bath was here. Oh, um, yeah. The birth pool, sorry, yeah. it was here. And uh, yeah, started to, to feel the surges strengthening and I'm getting closer together. And I was like, this is kind of the real thing. So called mum, who lives an hour and a half away for her to make her way across. And then I was lying on this couch thinking, I'll just have a little wee rest. And I hear a pop. <laughs> oh my God, what is that? It stood up and my waters broke and it was like a, moment for me I was like okay there's some action going on here yeah so I can remember calling you yes as my birth support um and saying hey my, my waters are broken and your response was all right Tans well you know you can maybe expect things to intensify from here and I was like yes sweet as this is fine you know like one of the surges I was experiencing at that point in time were gentle and flowy and I was able to you know have good conversation soon as I put that phone down man did they intensify yeah. and I was able to obviously freely walk around my lounge which I loved Kitty was busy following me with like puppy pads because with every contraction I was losing more fluid yes. so I can imagine it looked probably quite comical for somebody you now who'd be observing and it was just that moment of okay, this is this is really happening now. Yeah, I can do this. I already had some beautiful affirmation cards in my birth space as well, which was obviously my lounge and you know the fairy lights going. Um, so visually, I had created you know this magical space, uh, um, which is what I wanted for for birth in Ocean. You just for context, you called me at about 1 30. Okay, yeah, okay, so it was in the middle of the night, and it was a beautiful space to walk mm. into mm. with your little fairy lights, and um, just it was a it was a gorgeous vibe. Mm. The dog was a bit anxious. Outside. Oh my god, <laughs> poor Bella! So, my dog Bella was apparently anxious throughout the whole thing, yeah, and she wasn't allowed inside but managed no. to break in a few yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't notice of course uh, oh my goodness um, yeah and it seemed as if uh, you know I remember Kitty saying to me oh my gosh these you know these surges you're feeling are getting closer and closer am I gonna how far away is your midwife am I gonna have to deliver this baby where's Carla how far away does Carla live I <laughs> like this moment of panic you know and I was like it's fine don't worry about it because I was more concerned of phoning people too early right yeah. and um, so I was almost leaving it to, not the last minute, but until my body was like, hey, Tans, it's time to call someone now. I think even my response when you'd said, when you called me and said, my waters are broken and you were sounding all excited and happy and chuffed. And um, and I said, great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave now. I'm, you know, on my way. And you were like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Tans, you can probably 
me things may well get a little bit more intense from here on in and sure enough by the time I got here you weren't you weren't smiling like you were over the phone (laughs) (laughs) oh Noah I can imagine people seem to like I remember you and mum arriving around the same time and then Reagan my midwife uh, was not far from you guys so uh, I was also, one of the things that you and I had discussed was the timing of when to fill the pool. Yeah. And so I was quite mindful of that. You know, I wanted to make sure that the, the birthing pool was available to me when I needed it. Mm-hmm. Yet I didn't want to fill it too quickly and it go cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, by the time you came, that thought had completely escaped me because I was in a completely different zone. Yeah, completely yeah. Different which zone. is good because it was quite a drama. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Awful. Yeah. But you know, not a drama that you were a part of because no. you were in your own little later land by yeah, then. I yeah. was. I was. So the story with the the birth pool was the caliphant wasn't working, right? Yeah. So yeah. we we're getting cold water. So the next minute my mum and Kitty are filling the pool by hand, basically. Yeah, they're carrying pots of yeah. water, hot water over to the pool from the kitchen, which isn't a big distance, but it's a lot of pots yeah. of water, um, which which I think was really, really helpful that they had. That. It was almost like divine intervention that the colour <laughs> font didn't work because when things were getting pretty intense for you, which possibly would have been a little overwhelming for yeah were the the mums who were here um they had this job to do and a focus that was outside of sitting there worrying about how intense things were getting for you yeah yeah I mean I can just remember definitely feeling that things were getting really intense Mm. the surges were nothing that I'd felt that I'd experienced previously um you know, even when I think back at Delan's birth and then being really intense, I'd almost forgotten about that. And yeah, I wasn't panicked. I felt quite calm and quite grounded. There was a point, so my whole labour, from active labour, I guess, lasted, what, six and a half, seven hours? Yeah. Um, and I can, I can remember thinking, I must be transitioning now because I was saying things like, I'm done. I want to go to hospital. I can't do this anymore. Mm. And I could remember that being kind of a theme when reading the birthing stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, That women got to a point where, you know, they were transitioning from active labour to, I guess, pushing, Mm. basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And those thoughts were more likely to come up during that time. Um, What I wasn't, I guess, prepared for was just the amount of poo that they were. <laughs> yes. I you were quite horrified, weren't you? I was. So <laughs> the only fear that I hadn't kind of dealt with beforehand was the what if I poo fear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, even though it was with people that I trusted that would be my birth space, it's like, oh my God, how embarrassing if I poo is going to be awful. And I remember buying this giant sieve and looking at the sieve and going, oh my goodness, you know, I hope nobody has to fish out my poop. Um, but they did multiple times as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was not something I prepared for because I had been caught up in 
So I, I consumed a lot of content through Instagram around free birthing and home births. And every image I saw, there was like this wonderful, amazing mama, you know, quietly and peacefully delivering her baby in this like clear pool. Mm -hmm. And so that was an expectation that I put on myself mm -hmm. that that's what I would be doing. The reality was that I was literally creating noises and roaring baby Oshan into this world. Um, and the pool water was far from clear. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that was quite interesting for me to go through. Um, so yes, I can remember being in the phase of uh, feeling pressure down below and, uh, you know, thinking, yeah, this is it. I'm, I'm getting ready now to see what my body wants to do around pushing. Yet also feeling a bit panicked because I could, like, Oshan still felt quite quite high up mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, you know, walking from the bathroom back into the, the pool area and saying to you, Callie's so high up, he's so high up. And you reassuring me, you know, that pressure that you're feeling now, you know, he's exactly where he needs to be. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I probably want to talk about that, you know, relates to the mindset work that I had done um so really thinking about who you're inviting into your birth space so because um, I didn't have a husband a partner you know initially the father of the child um present I really wanted my mum to be there so even though I knew that my mum like mum has a really hard time seeing her children in pain mm -hmm. And also her own birthing journeys, you know, have been very different. And, and despite Oshan being the eighth grandchild, it was the first birth uh, of a grandchild that she was attending. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, talking to her and saying, hey, if it gets too much for you, just walk out the room. It's fine. But I just, I wanted my mum to be there mm. to give me a sense of security, mm. you know, that I was supported by my family as well which of course I am mm. and it was actually quite a traumatic experience for my mum mm. every time I I looked at her facial expression she just looked so so worried and there was a point where Kitty looked worried to me as well so I remember being in the bedroom and Kitty saying to me you know Tony I really think that you should be checked so wanted me to have a, um, check how dilated I was basically mm. it was part of my birth plan that I didn't want any vaginal checks at all mm. because I knew that you know one moment I could be four centimeters the next you know five minutes it's nine yeah I also remember them checking me with Dylan after laboring for what felt like a million years and then telling me I was only two centimeters yes. dilated and that really fucked up my head. Mm -hmm. You know, all motivation and thoughts of I can do this went out the window. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to repeat that experience. Mm -hmm. So I had Kitty really worried, wanting me to be checked. My mum also supported that. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember thinking in my head, no, I don't need it and I don't want it. Yet what I could hear coming out of my mouth was, well, what, what do Carla and Reagan you know, mm. think about that. Mm. And Reagan was awesome because she went through what it would mean. So you're gonna to have to lie on your back tans. It's gonna be quite, you know, uncomfortable. Previously in your pregnancy or during your labour? During my labour. Okay. 
because she knew like we'd already discussed that she knew that that's not something that I wanted um yet I think she was responding to the concern yeah. from Kitty this must have been when I was having a we talked to Kitty out in the hall yeah that, that Reagan was having that conversation with yeah because I didn't you yeah. weren't there no yeah. no I was in the bedroom it was definitely just mm. me and Reagan mm. and you know she lovingly explained the process mm. I think she knew just by giving me that time mm. that I would be able to be like nah mm -hmm. and I said no I, I don't I don't want that I don't need that mm. and then somebody saying Tans I really think it should be checked and Reagan confidently going no she doesn't need it she doesn't want it and she doesn't need it you, well actually my recollection of that was um you saying so so yeah Pitty saying to you Tans we need to get you checked we need to see if things are progressing like they should be and you turning your head to look at Reagan and say, Reagan, do you want to examine me? And Reagan saying, I don't feel any need to examine you, Tans, but if you would like that, we can talk about that. Just so calm. Just yeah. so calm the whole time. But it was it was absolutely 100% reassuring that yeah. like, I have no you know, fear about what is taking place has been anything but what should be yeah and absolutely normal i also want to interject at this point as well and share what that, that conversation that i had with kitty in the hall because i think i think this is a really important aspect you said you know you've got to think carefully about who you invite into your birth space and i think you were able to have that fear in your space because you had two very fiercely protective um uh women there yeah. who knew birthing physiology well and trusted it fully um and so you were like if a color and reagan are fine i'm fine mm -hmm. um and i can kind of tune out a little bit more to to that other fear stuff um but you had requested of me when we were talking birth planning um that if that fear got too much could i ask your mum to leave I, you weren't you weren't sure that you're going to have kitty there at that stage but yeah I, I sort of had it in my head that it was my role to keep that safe space for you so it was a bit of a tough time a bit of a tough call because I knew that you wanted them there but I also was becoming well aware of the fear they were bringing into the space so I took the opportunity when Kitty left the room briefly to go out after her and to have a talk to her. And I did the same with your mum and you mm -hmm. at another point as well. And um, and Kitty shared with me, you know, I'm worried. She needs to be checked. I, you know, I've got a medical background. I know the things that can go wrong in birth. And I and I, you know, I validated that. I said, yeah, I can. I can I can understand where that fear is coming from, um, but also you know Tanya's got a really experienced, um, knowledgeable midwife there. Who if she's not worried about anything, I mean, no midwife wants a bad outcome. If mm -hmm. she's not worried, then we can trust that whatever's happening is okay. And she yeah. said, um, but what? But what if? Um, what if she has a vaginal examination and she's and we discover she's only six centimeters and i said well if she has a vaginal examination she we may discover she's only six centimeters um 
that doesn't mean that uh, her baby is going to be, you know, hours and hours and hours away from coming. It doesn't mean much of anything. Her baby could be, she could be six centimetres and her baby be in her arms in an hour, you know. Um, but what that would do, if, if Tanya's thinking she's almost fully dilated and she hears that she's six centimetres, then that will potentially crush her self-confidence, her self-belief that she can continue to do this hard work. Yeah. What she needs to do, what she needs from us is for us to trust her process and, you know, and to tell her she is, whatever's happening is exactly as it's meant to be happening. Remind her that she's doing a great job. Um, and it was it was great because there was a real shift in, in Kitty after that. And she went back into the room and and oh bless her heart. She she said to you, Tans, you're doing great, baby, you'll be here soon. <laughs> and I was like, shit. <laughs> no, no, we don't we don't know that. <laughs> I also I also wanted to raise um that. I felt the need, you you were saying when you were on the bed in the bedroom there, you said, I want to go to hospital. And and I said to you, Tans, we we can go to hospital. We can take you to hospital if that's what you need. And I felt like I was actually saying that more for the mums than for you yes um to reassure them that it's not we're not trying to stop tanya from accessing whatever support she needs we're not trying to get that home birth at all costs it's that's yeah. not what it's about we are totally here for her yes um and i would love for you to share what went through your head when i said that to you because mm. yeah i loved your reflections that you had yes i mean for me, I knew we'd, we'd had a discussion as part of the birthing planning, the birth planning, around uh, speaking your fears mm -hmm. through the birthing process, right? So I knew that something came into my mind that uh, um, could hold me back, slow things down, or take me off track and like take me down old belief systems that I would speak that mm -hmm. into the birth space for it to be processed gone or dressed so when I was asking or requesting to go to the hospital and your you know how you responded it gave me time to process okay what would that actually entail I've got to get into the car no way I'm going anywhere outside of this house let alone in a vehicle like I couldn't think of anything worse right I'm going to arrive there it's going to take you know quite a bit of time for them to process me see me um deal to me mm. even that word deal to me popped mm. into my head there mm. um which is really interesting because that's not like the love and care that I experienced here at home and I had a strong visual that I would be having another cesarean mm. if uh, I got in that car and went to the hospital mm. so it just gave me the ability to okay acknowledge this is something that my brain is wanting me to do right now go to the hospital time to actually process that thought mm -hmm. to be actually not that's definitely not what I want to do mm -hmm. I'm staying here mm -hmm. because you know this feels right this feels safe for me yeah and then and then you left the bedroom 
got back into that pool. Yeah. Um, I think that was the last time we convinced you to get out of the pool and try something <laughs> different because we had you laboring on the toilet for a oh while. Oh my gosh, that freaked me out oh, initially because yeah. I knew because you were talking to me in the pool, right? And you were like, Tans, you know, can I suggest something? Can I take you to the bathroom? Because it's a natural place that, you know, you want to, to push. Mm. That's what we do when we go to the bathroom. And I feel like it, you know, it might kind of move things along for you. And just the thought of getting out of the bath, out of the, you know, the birthing pool at that point um, was quite overwhelming. But I trusted you and I knew that I definitely wanted to, to do something different. And I can just remember being on the toilet. And I was facing the other way, right? So my my face was facing the wall, and saying to you, you know, Carla, what if it, what if baby comes and he, he goes down the toilet, and you like having to reassure me that I wasn't going to drop my baby into the toilet. Yeah, but that being like a genuine concern for yeah. me as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but it worked because yeah, you're right. That that change and being somewhere that felt natural for my body to you know to to do that that pushing. Um, yeah, really helped, mm. really helped to move things along. So coming back in, going back into the pool, that was that. Yeah. That was when things started to get real and Oshan was coming into the world. Mm. I should point out as well in terms of, um, you know, we've talked about me being a single parent, not being in a relationship with a father. My whole pregnancy journey um, there was a lot of emotional stress um, and other emotions that, you know, occurred through uh, quite a stressful relationship with, with Oshan's dad. And, and so at the point, you know, at the time of birth planning, um, the dad was not going to be present. When I got back into the birthing pool and things started to get real and I knew that I was getting closer to within Oshan, I requested for the dad to be present. There was no pre-thought, there was no, it was literally something told me to get him to attend. And so Kitty called him and he was able to be a part of seeing his son come out mm -hmm. into this world. Yeah, I'm, I'm remembering how, you know how you said you wanted the Hollywood waters breaking moment. Yeah. And you kind of, yeah, I mean, it wasn't in the supermarket, but it was semi what you were requesting. <laughs> another thing you wanted, what you were quite determined about was that your baby would come at night. Yes. <laughs> it's not the Instagram video. <laughs> With the fairy lights and candles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I remember this moment um in the last stages of your birth because he was born just after eight. Yes. In the morning. Uh, yes. Um and and you <laughs> and yeah, you must have like looked up, you know, in between contractions and noticed that the sun was coming up. Um, I mean it was a it was a gloomy morning, like it wasn't bright, yeah, but um it was light. Yeah. And you were like but a little bit gutted, I think. <laughs> what? He was born at night. <laughs> it's because it, it was acknowledging, you know, the time that had passed. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what I was expecting because I, I 
I didn't necessarily want, you know, and I wasn't necessarily thinking, oh, well, this is only going to be a three-hour birth for me. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a time in mind, of course, because uh, I just trusted in the process. But I do remember feeling quite gutted when I saw that the sun was coming up. So it meant that I'd been, you know, birthing for quite some yeah. time. Yeah. So, yeah. So, again, it was probably more that confronting kind of thought of, uh, when when will he be here when do i get to meet my baby yeah when does this experience for this portion come to an end what did get you through the the toughest times of your labor i mean i've I've been to a lot of births um and yours felt very much like a first birth yes right which typically a tougher um on the body and 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 indeed it is kind of like giving birth for the first time uh, certainly pushing a baby through your vagina for the first time but but also I don't know how dilated your cervix got to with your birth with um villain um but your body had never gone into labor on its own mm -hmm. and your cervix had never probably gotten to fully mm -hmm. dilated and never been through that pushing phase so yeah so it was a hard it was hard work and and like yeah what what comes to mind as being the tools or the things that helped you get through the toughest bits of your birth yeah I mean there were a few things right so the toughest points of my birth um there were affirmations that I would repeat silently in my mind I definitely had a determination. It was like, well, I'm, I'm here now. I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. there's, there is no other option. We are doing this. And, and being able to have viewer support. So I can remember, you know, when things, oh, I'm getting quite emotional though. <laughs> I remember when things got like really, really tough and, and I would have thoughts like, when will this be over? Can I actually do this? Mm -hmm. And I would look at you, you know, I'd ask what probably seems to be silly things like, when will this be over, Cal? <laughs> or I would just look at you, you know, with just like this puzzled look on my face. I was looking for your reaction. I was mm. looking to see, were you happy? Were you worried? And mm. you would just be looking at me like, what are you looking for, Chance? You know? Mm. And I remember you saying to me, which is a big, big thing, you know, this is your birthright. This is, this is your, oh, what was it? Um, This is your... Right you, of yeah, you're right of passage, mm. you know. Um, you can do this. So it was it was literally having you believe in me so much mm. to reaffirm what I believed about myself that got me through that. Um and also the pressure on my back. Mm. That was something I was really obsessed about whenever there was a contraction. Who's on my back? Who's on my back? Because I really, you know, that counter pressure. Um, really helped me as well from a physical perspective uh, the emotional side of things you know that the strength that I felt that I needed to find from within I feel like I, I could only do so much mm -hmm. and that that top up that you know what got me over the edge was definitely having so you as well yeah. So yeah, thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, they they did feel like really special and important moments. Yeah. I, I I remember them probably as as clearly as you do. Um, in your birthdays, um, but of you just looking up and and yeah, there did seem to be that searching in your eyes. And 
the words I remember saying to you were, it's a lot, isn't it? Mm. It's a lot. Um, it's really hard work and you can do this. You are doing this, mm. you know, that's and, and repeating that to you a number yeah. of times. You said that you had some affirmations you were saying in your head. Do you recall what, what they were? Yeah, so one of my key things was I could do anything for 60 seconds. Yes. I'd pick that up from um, another birth worker and also from the beautiful cars that you bought me. My body was made for this. And, mm. um, and I can remember as well going back to a, a key moment through that last phase before Oshan joined us. And you said to me, are you surrendering to your contractions? Or are you resisting them? Mm. And I was like, I'm resisting them. And I, my memory's a bit murky here, but I think we had a brief discussion around that. Mm. But it was a reminder for me around the surrendering mm. as well. And I definitely, there was definitely a point in my, you know, that last phase where whenever I could feel a, a, a surge coming on, like the intensity of it, mm. I could feel my body tensing up and I could, you know, hear myself going, oh my God. Mm. Okay, think about the affirmations. But almost make obviously making it harder for myself because that body was tensing up. And my first thought was, oh my God, mm. you know. Mm. Um, so as soon as you reminded me about that, mm. again, it helped me to center and to go, okay, well, how do I surrender to these immensely intense surges yeah. that I'm feeling you know yeah um and yeah being able to do that and... yeah I think something I said to you and this is a I'm, it's a quote I, I don't know who the quote belongs to um unfortunately but I see this um as an affirmation that's said a lot which is that your contractions cannot be stronger than you nice because they are you yeah you know it's your own body that's yeah. creating this it's not going to be any more than you can handle because yeah. it's you <laughs> yeah it's you that's doing it and and that that seemed to um sit well with you like yeah. that seemed to you yeah see you taking that out yeah yeah um yeah and then finally you've been pushing for some time like roaring you were you, you were awesome with your with your roaring and it, i remember you reflecting on that and saying you'd seen your sister um you walked in just after the, at the end of her birth before she birthed her placenta and it was also calm quiet yes. so you'd had this image of birth as being this really quiet gentle peaceful thing and and that I had talked in our pregnancy circle about some people you know vocalizing can yes. be a really powerful way to help open your body and to you know surrender to the process and um and yeah and you, and you surprised yourself with your roaring yeah absolutely I mean I probably didn't realize the intensity of my roaring until I'd heard it back on the recording yeah, yeah the video um that was one thing that I can remember thinking as well I'm meant to be sitting in the pool you know quietly breathing my baby out why am I making this noise let me just try not making this noise in the next surge and you know that just not working obviously 
because it was so powerful and it actually it just helped the whole process of uh, I guess you know riding the wave of those surges as they mm. were coming through mm. and uh, you know a funny moment for me was so it's morning my kids are actually um have been asleep in the house yeah and me realizing that and in a, you know quite panicked going to mom can you go and check on the kids because mm-hmm. i had just had visions that they were hearing this noise and were rocking in the corner of the <laughs> rooms you know because they hadn't experienced birth yeah. um in that way before and mom coming back and going yeah they're, they're absolutely fine you know dylan's got his headphones on and, and eva's going to come out soon and so despite the intensity of uh, you know the the final kind of phase or stage mm. of that experience as soon as Eva came out is of course her birthday right it's the third of March <laughs> you were born her birthday being able to kind of stop have everyone sing happy birthday to her yeah. and then she sits down in front of the the birthing pool and I say to her okay darling mummy's gonna have a contraction now mm. and you know you're gonna hear some weird sounds just know I'm okay and then straight away just roaring you know and just looking at her face and yeah her just just sitting there watching her mum roar out her baby brother that was a pretty cool Mm -hmm. thing to to have happen yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, it was quite special that moment of singing her happy birthday yeah yeah it was and in a probably quite an overwhelming scene for her to walk out to as a a new you know newly 12 year old Mum's in the, you know, in the a birthing pool in the middle of the lounge, making these weird noises and all these people around her. But she handled it well. Yeah, yeah handled right. it well. Yeah, and then his head started to. Oh me. my gosh! So I'm glad that I knew about. So back in my mind, I knew about how, um, you know, the baby can help stretch your perineum before actually exiting the area (laughs) um, to to prevent you from tearing. So I knew I wanted him birthed in the water and that's obviously what we did. So yeah, his head came out and then would pop back in and would come out and would pop back in and I was getting quite frustrated with it because I was like, when does this baby go in to, you know, do his thing and make an appearance? I remember you telling me, Tans is doing exactly what, you know, he's meant to do, everything's happening um as it should and at this point I'm on all fours you know you're behind um getting ready to to meet him mm-hmm. with your hands and and so yeah his head eventually came out along with an arm you know his, hand yeah. up his, his cheek yeah his head birthed really slowly mm-hmm. um and with having you know a background in midwifery there was the thought of hmm, when when heads are born really slowly, sometimes it can mean that it's going to be a tough job getting the shoulders through. Mm. And so me just speaking that out loud so that the midwife and her backup, because there was the backup midwife had arrived by that point, just sitting really quietly, um, were aware of what was what was happening. And, and at that point, Reagan did shift around and kind of she, we could see because it was morning and, you know, um, we could could see clearly everything that was going on but yeah it was quite amazing to see how slowly his head was born and then yeah out popped this little hand <laughs> it was like oh yeah okay right <laughs> hand in the way um because that can make it a bit tougher to you know to birth them as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah apparently so yeah um and i can remember 
I can remember you going through, you know, telling me each time a new part of him would make an yes. appearance. Yeah. And everyone's encouraging me to keep going. And I, again, would just allow the surges to come and then allow my body to do what it was meant to do. So there was no kind of coaching around the pushing mm-hmm. until the end. But I can remember you saying, Tans, do you want to feel the baby? And I just couldn't. I was like, I've got a job to do. I need to retain this forecast because it was taking everything and more yeah. for me to mm-hmm. what I felt for me to, you know, to get him and birth him into the world. Um, and then I can remember you saying, here he is, Tans, here he comes. And, and reaching, you know, in between my legs and, and lifting him up. But, and the first thing that I noticed was that, his, you know, his colour was probably a little bit bluer than what I'd expected. Mm. And he did have his head shape was a bit different just at the back. And I can remember just being so shocked, like literally going, what the heck was that? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm so trying to almost process the last six and a half, seven hours, as well as holding this beautiful mm-hmm. baby in front of me. And I remember you saying, Tans, talk to him, Tans. And I was like, I don't know what to say. Mm. But I can remember looking at him and thinking, he's not breathing mm. like he should be. And saying, come on, baby, you just need to take a breath now. Take a breath. And, you know, Reagan at this point was obviously checking everything else and, mm-hmm. and having him on me. Um, Pat, my birth plan was, I was really looking forward to delayed cord clamping. Mm-hmm. I was wanting to experience the breast crawl mm. and to just enjoy that golden hour yeah. um that felt really important mm. um to me what eventuated was um, Oshan wasn't breathing as expected he mm. sounded wet when he was taken in a breath mm. um Reagan calm like oh so calmly um delivered you know tried to help him along his way um whilst he was on me and then using a bag and mask so yeah yeah giving him some extra help to breathe um and i i believe that her and the backer midwife at that point just weren't happy with how things are progressing so said not we need to get him off you um so you know the cord was was cut and then before i knew it she was lay down the floor and they were again using the the mask and bag to, to try and encourage him to mm. to breathe with greater ease and i can just remember thinking i should be freaking out but i'm not and everything and everyone just felt so calm mm. reagan and i had talked weirdly talked about the possibility of him coming out not breathing like mm. i was aware that Often with, with babies who are home birthed in a really calm environment, it can just take them a little a little bit um, to kind of take that first breath and, and come to. So I was prepared for that and we kind of worked out a plan. Um, and so when things started to unfold as they did, I just felt a great sense of confidence in Reagan and a sense in, in calm with how she went about it. She took action when she needed to. Mm. But she did it in such a peaceful way that it didn't kind of cause everyone else to go into a panic. And, yeah. You know? Yeah. And even when she said, Tans, I think we're gonna have to call the ambulance. And I was <laughs> like, 
I was like, okay, that's what you need to do. That's what you do. Um, at this point, I was birthing, attempted to birth the placenta, mm. which took an hour and 45 minutes. Mm. I definitely capped up. Yeah. I can definitely remember feeling scared of the contractions when it came to birth in the placenta. Um, and my body probably was responding to the fact that he was having to go to hospital without me yeah. riding in the ambulance with him. So it was agreed that he would go with Reagan and his dad and that you know I would follow once the placenta was, was birthed. And, which I can remember talking to Reagan about how Dylan was taken away from me yeah. um, when he was when, was born and that that was something I definitely did not want to happen. I didn't want to be separated from my baby, mm. you know, and I had some angst around that. Um, yet when it actually happened, yeah, as I say, I just felt quite calm, concerned, mm. yet calm. Mm. Mm. So, yes, you naturally stayed with me as did mum and you know two backup midwives and yes um, yep so the backup midwife called another midwife yes. um, so that she had somebody there during the birth of the placenta um and yeah mm. Reagan had gone gone with Oshan to the hospital yeah yeah, yeah so once the, the placenta was out we then you know you drove me to the hospital and I can just still remember feeling quite out of it like it was almost as if it was a movie of my life playing sorry I, I I'm just remembering we couldn't you asked me to find some undies in your undies drawer <laughs> to, to put, the, to put the, the pad into or do we have it we have it oh because you're your nappy pad, yeah, you know, like those awesome nappy undies. Yeah. Um, you you delivered a massive blood clot into that and the others had gone with yeah. the baby to the hospital. Yeah. So I had to find some undies for you for us to put a pad into, but you all I could find in your undies drawer were these skimpy little G strings. <laughs> and I was like, this is not gonna do. So do you, do you remember what we did in school? Yeah, I do. We had to go and get a pair of Dylan, my son's underpants, yeah. like his boxers, yes. so that I could put a giant pad in that, two giant pads in that, and wear those to the hospital. Yes. But to continue on that, Kitty had packed my bag. Oh. So I'd had the same experience. So I'm at the hospital, you know, I stayed there for three days or three nights, and I go to get a fresh pair of underwear. And I've got a pair of white <laughs> knickers and then like three G-strings. I'm like, there's no way I can wear these. But luckily, as you say, I had my nappy knickers there as well. So <laughs> definitely wasn't ready to rock the G-string yeah. like hours after giving birth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how was it for you when you got up to the hospital? Um, as I say, I was quite, I, I felt maybe as if I'd left my body, that it actually wasn't happening. Um, so when I arrived at the hospital, Oshan was already in a, is it a CPAP mask? CPAP, so CPAP. Yeah, P-A-P, C-A-P-A-P, yeah. Um, which basically covered his whole face and he had a tube in his mouth going down into his tummy and like kind of two prongs up his nose to deliver oxygen. That was really confronting. Mm. I wasn't expecting that. Mm. Um, 
I was expecting that he'd have like a tiny little oxygen mask. Yeah. And that he would only need to be on it for a couple of hours and then that would be that. Um, but a couple of hours actually turned into three and a half days. And, yeah. Um so and I were just about to put an IV line in him as well. Yeah. When, when yeah. Right. yeah. So that was all, you know, for somebody who was preparing to not attend hospital. So then after having this beautiful, you know, home birth uh, surrounded by wonderful people, to then end up in the neonatal unit um, and seeing him so new and so vulnerable, like needing that mm. that amount of intervention and support to help him breathe was quite confronting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And why did what what did you learn about? his need for that um CPAP for yeah. that help with breathing um yeah why did they want to put the IV line in do you recall all this oh uh, yeah I recall bits of it um so they believed that he'd either ingested oh. some of the water during mm. the water birth or he hadn't cleared all of the amniotic fluid in his lungs and mm. um, they were concerned about him having an infection mm. and so wanted to administer antibiotics which is why they put the IV line in and again you know me fresh from this birthing experience I just didn't it was all so much to process yeah. and I can remember you asking the right questions around you know can you explain why um you're needing to administer antibiotics how long for how will you confirm that there's an infection or all the, these great questions that just were blank in my mind because mm. i was like what the heck is going mm. on mm. yeah yeah they never found an infection did they They never found so they give him an x-ray as well they never found an infection um his breathing had improved after like 24 hours so I was requesting because one thing that was really important for me was having as much skin on skin time yes. in those early hours because with Dylan and Ava I had had issues with my milk coming in mm. and one thing that I was, again really looking forward to as part of a home and, and vaginal birth experience was that hopefully getting me off to a better start when I came to breastfeeding yeah. right so it was three days before oh no I think it was actually you know the second day before I was able to have him skin on skin mm -hmm. and initially it was with you know the the gear on him which mm -hmm. wasn't a pleasant experience they were reluctant to allow me to try feeding him mm -hmm. because they felt that the energy it would take him to try and feed plus obviously um breathe was too much and um but yeah by the third night everything was off they had him rooming in with me so they would have lots of skin on skin lots of time just nuzzling at the breast and um and at that point you know I was obviously trying to pump as well to stimulate my milk supply coming through but it was delayed yeah 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 um, the environment's just not where you need to no. be to no, absolutely not. Flowing, right? Absolutely not. And so what they did support me with, uh, you know, initially they were suggesting um, using formula mm -hmm. to feed him. Again, because that was something that was done with Delan. 
um, I definitely didn't want to go down that route because um, I thought it would negatively affect um, the breastfeeding. So my beautiful friend, beautiful friend Juliet, who you know had a baby six weeks prior, um, kindly donated some breast mm. milk. She shipped that into the hospital, and um, yeah, we supplemented him with that, which obviously the, the nurses kindly helped me with, which was great. And mm. because I knew he was getting breast milk from somebody mm. who I trusted, plus he was stimulating, you know, my breast through um, so he's receiving it through a straw that was attached to my nipple. So that worked well. Mm. Um, there was a lot of advocating though towards the end, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I was told that uh, I needed to stay another night. They were concerned at this point. So the breathing was fine, no infection. They were concerned at this point that he had jaundice, and, which I can understand why, because he looked quite yellow. But in my mind, his face was so bruised after the the birth right just in terms of how he came out that that bruising had, had turned quite yellow mm. so for me I was like it's it's the bruising I experienced through the birth I don't think he has jaundice um, but obviously they wanted to test his um, blood just to make sure but I can remember lying in bed you know day four thinking I just need to get home so my body can relax and my milk can come through and like six nurses, doctors, registrars walked in and it was so overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. So overwhelming, you know, to walk in as I'm lying down, standing around your bed, standing around my bed, yeah. people I haven't met before. The language that was used made me feel completely shit that my milk hadn't come through and I couldn't mm. feed my baby yet. It's mm. like, well, if I could just tell my body, you know yeah. do it then of course I would and they asked me what my plan was so my plan is to go home to an environment where I can relax and to continue to do what I'm doing in terms of supplementing with donor breast milk and I've got full confidence that my milk will come through as soon as I come home and there was just some reluctance to mm. that plan um you know I was told that I could risk giving him permanent brain damage if I took him home they were concerned about the jaundice. Um, so, you know, naturally I was willing to wait for the blood results to come back, which showed that there was no jaundice. And mm. as soon as I got that, I, I discharged it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And home we came. Yeah. And then, you know, within, I think it was four hours of being home, I pumped and lo and behold, uh, there was milk. And yeah. Not a great deal at that point, yet it was progression. So. Mm yeah and it just continued to progress it, it took like a bit of time it, did. You... it was day five day yeah. five day six yeah, yeah. and you were do continuing to do sort of um what's it called using a lactate yeah. to you know a little tube um that you popped into his mouth that had was yeah sitting in the other end was sitting in, in a little um cup of milk and yes. so while he's feeding at the breast he's also getting some of this milk coming through the tube um which you know it's hard work all that right yeah. like um but here you are like pretty much the whole time we've been talking um <laughs> he's been breastfeeding yeah yes there's a lot of perseverance yeah um, and I'm glad I did it because yeah we are well on our way now eight mm. weeks on 
Mm. Um, and yeah, thanks to some, you know, excellent mm. support around lactation cookies and, mm. you know, lactation advice um, and beautiful people mm. who donated their breast milk as well. It's just meant that we can get to where we are now with it. And some, um, and some lovely meals donated, eh? Oh, yes, yes, yes. A, a yes, meal yes. train. Yes. That is awesome. Yeah, the meal train. Like when I can remember coming home and I think it was like day five and I was highly emotional and I can remember looking at my mum. My mum kindly stayed here for a week and a half and, and going, how the hell am I going to do this when you're gone? Like, how am I going to cope? How am I going to manage? And just that fear around doing things solo really kicking in, obviously with, you know, a fresh boost of hormones as well. Um, but feeling really, really fearful at yeah. that point that I just did not have the support that I needed. All my family live an hour and a half away. Um, and yeah, you know, just thinking that it was going to be a real struggle for us. Mm. Mm. Which has had its challenging moments. Mm. Yeah, overall, we're thriving versus surviving. Mm. Hey, Bob. Is there any of those more challenging things that you would like to share at the moment? Or is this, a, is this episode number two of <laughs> Tanya podcast? Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe so, maybe mm. so. I mean, you know, just a touch on you know, other women that I've spoken to who are flying solo mm -hmm. as well um, and are doing an amazing, amazing job. The whole, like everything is set up for families. So, you know, even attending um, your beautiful pregnancy circle, um, I was the only person there that couldn't have. <laughs> Thank you, Osha. It's Thank like you. I was there too. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that didn't have a partner, you know, yeah. or the father of the child as, as support. And I just found that that was amplified everywhere. Um, so that can feel pretty lonely and isolating. And then to have laid on top of that a challenging or difficult relationship with the father of the child mm -hmm. and kind of having to navigate uh, what does parenting look like? Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what does going through mediation look like? Mm -hmm. um, and me feeling, you know, such a strong sense of um, wanting to be a safe space for him and just the idea of uh, not always being able to provide that because he's going to be in somebody else's care that I actually don't have a relationship mm -hmm. with. Uh, there's been no trust that's built up. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, that's scary. Mm -hmm. That is a scary space to, to be in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. I've, I've been there myself. Yeah. A lot of your journey has brought up stuff for me you know from from some with my first who is turning 23 this year so we are talking a while ago but it's it's still fresh there it's really really tough and um I mean it's wow <laughs> I want to clarify that that's a baby and not me <laughs> thanks for that I would have gone and got you some of those happy youngies <laughs> Um, yeah, um, it's hard enough 
for people who are in stable relationships yeah. who have a really beautiful straightforward birth um to to cope with the the enormity that is you know transitioning into parenthood or transitioning from two to three or whatever it is it's always a transition um we're, we're just not set up as a culture a society um to support that journey mm. and, and and to support especially the, the new mums um and yeah and that is just exacerbated tenfold when you are doing it alone yeah um so it, it is it is a tough road um and you're doing an amazing job thank you and gosh this boy is cute <laughs> yeah you are hello is there anything else you'd like to share before we wind this up it's been an incredible conversation like just yeah so much um that listeners can take from all that you've shared thank you really really beautiful thank you I, I guess for me like the the biggest thing coming out of this is the understanding of how birth can be so unpredictable mm. you know I did a lot of work to get myself to a point where I trust that I could birth my baby at home it was a beautiful experience and yet we still ended up in hospital mm -hmm. and that's okay mm -hmm. you know that's not a failure or anything which mm -hmm. it, it could be quite easy for me to fall into that way of thinking mm -hmm. the reality is birth is unpredictable yeah you know and we can see all of these wonderful videos um you know through social media through instagram of these beautiful peaceful births um but that's just one example yeah of someone's birth journey yeah we all have very different experiences there yeah. are never any guarantees no. when it comes to birth no and i think we are all just doing the best that we can with the information and support we have available to us to try and get the safest most positive outcomes possible and that looks different for us all but um but yeah it is it's it's tough it's part of um it's one of the biggest lessons we have to learn as parents is to accept that yeah we don't we don't know how things are going to play out you know we have to just surrender to yes. the process and um yeah just keep doing our best to find that support and information that we need to venture through yeah. all the different stages and phases and all those sorts of things um yeah well well done you that was it was a pretty epic um uh -huh journey to be a part of and to be invited mm -hmm. into really really special for me so i mean yeah to catch him you did you did <laughs> i really wanted that for you but there was a part of me that kind of was a bit excited when you when i said to you do you want to reach down and feel your baby no no i'm scared <laughs> and i'm like okay i guess it's, it's i guess it's up to me then <laughs> and i love that i love that that's what happens you know <laughs> I had a, the exact same, it was like you, your response was the exact same response I gave when my midwife suggested I reach down to, to, to touch Laura. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm too scared. And mum 
and mum called her. Oh, yeah. beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Tanya. It's been a really, really gorgeous time uh, reflecting on this special occasion and your journey. And yeah, thank you for um, being willing to share it you know, on the podcast too. Thank you so much. And I'm just incredibly grateful to have had you as part of the experience. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Healing Birth Podcast. If you like what you heard, please spread the love by sharing this podcast with others. Or if you'd like to connect with me, you can get hold of me via Instagram at healing.birth and through my website, healingbirth.co.nz. I'd love to hear from you, whether that's so you can share feedback or suggestions or because you're potentially interested in working or training together. Let's do it. Aroha noi, you beautiful people.